right. So I'm just going to give you the heads up now. I'm going to be uh, uh, preaching to get our hearts ready for special missions contribution because it's coming up in three weeks. And so what I wanted us to do to actually start our service is we're going to do a little video for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. All right. So what we're going to do is I've got Carly here, my my assistant. She's going to uh, she's going to film me real quick. I'm going to do a little intro and then I'm basically going to say something to the effect of and uh, from your brothers and sisters in Desert Cities Church of Christ. She's going to turn around and you're going to say, we love you, cheer, yell. And she's going to walk down the aisle and try to get some people's faces in the video. And we'll send that to our brother Mufid and he'll get it out to the disciples out there in the Middle East. All right. So um, let me think about what I'm. Uh, no, no. So go ahead and stay seated. I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, stay seated. Stay seated. Okay. All right. Tell me when. Well, hi, brothers and sisters. It's your brother Jake Rock here, representing the Desert Cities Church of Christ. And in three weeks, we're going to be giving our special missions offering. And we're so excited to be able to give that. We're praying for how God is working through all of you and how he's going to use that money and, and all the miracles that he wants to do in that part of the world. But on behalf of the Desert Cities Church of Christ, we wanted to say... <laughs> Let's give it up for Carly, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, why don't we start off with a word of prayer here to refocus us, and then we'll uh, we'll get into into things. Father, I do just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we've got right now, just to uh, to prepare our hearts and minds uh, for just such a, an incredible thing that we get to do as a church. And, uh, and I really pray that, that you will really help us to be humble before your scriptures, that, uh, that this is something that will stir in our hearts in such a great way as we boost our faith and as we really give ourselves to you uh, completely uh, with our lives, with, with uh, uh, our hearts, and with our money as well. But God, I pray that you really preach, uh, preach your word powerfully through me. We lift this up to you in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So my wife was actually going to share part of this with me, but she's not feeling well today, so she's... She is not going to be able to do that. But, uh, but I am really grateful that I get the chance to, to preach to you guys to get us, to start getting us ready for special missions contribution. Um, and for those of you visiting or those that haven't been around since last year when we did it, uh, every year we give a, a large sum of money once a year to go towards mission work, uh, here in the Inland Empire and, and in the Southwest, but also overseas in the Middle East. And I'll talk about that more here in a, in a little bit. And honestly, guys, I'm really proud of our church in this. I'm proud of, uh, of the fact, number one, that we do this. That this, is, that this is something that's in our DNA, that's a part of who we are. I feel like, honestly, if there's things that we, could, that we could brag and boast about in a righteous way, about what our church does, the fact that we give to help God's word expand throughout the world, that's something to be proud of. And I'm so grateful for how so many of us in here and so many of you guys for years and years and years have given sacrificially to help God's work uh, be done throughout the world. And, uh, and so I just wanted to say thank you uh, for, for those of you guys that do that. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we had our, our REACH conference in 2016 in St. Louis. And one of the main sessions, there was a discussion about kind of how we're doing as a church to reach the world currently. Because if you've been a disciple for years and years, you know that, 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 that especially back in the 90s, it was, man, we're going to reach the world in one generation, that we are all about world missions. And so they handed out this thing 
called the, the ICOC Global Missions Report. Was anybody actually there that might, might have gotten this? Nobody? No? Okay, if you want this, this is actually available online. You can get it there. They were handing them out, and they were, or you could, I think you, you had to buy them back then. But, uh, but in it, it listed out all of uh, the mission societies that we have in our church around the world. And it was really cool. If you went through it, uh, and I would encourage you, if you, need, if you need something just to help you even with your thinking about missions, um, it breaks down each of the mission societies, kind of how they're doing, how many churches, what we give to go support them. It's, it's some great stuff to boost our faith. And, uh, and we specifically in our church, you can't see it because of how small it is, we support the Middle East Mission Society in the Inland Empire. Yeah. Woo! Woo! That's awesome. And, uh, and if you've been a disciple for a while, maybe you're like me. There have been some times, I think, in the last, uh, I want to say, five, ten years, where I've kind of gone through, man, does our church really still have the heart for world missions the way that we used to. And I've kind of wrestled with that at times. Like, like, are we kind of just into ourselves and just trying to figure out life that, that this has kind of gotten lost? And honestly, when this got passed out and I got a chance to go through this again, it helped to really build my faith up to go, you know what? We are still about world missions. Our church is doing, God is doing so much worldwide, not just in the Middle East, but all over the place to spread the gospel to people who haven't heard it yet. And that's something to be encouraged by. But in the Middle East, specifically where we work and we are responsible for, that's it, it's the Middle East, if you didn't know it on a map, we support about 26 churches in North Africa, in the Middle East specifically, in the Gulf, in Turkey, uh, spread out all over the place. And, and those churches have varying degrees. I know when Mufid was out here a couple, uh, a couple months ago, he kind of gave a breakdown of some of where the churches are at. And we got churches as small as like five to six people, to churches as big as about 150 uh, to 200. Uh, God is doing a number of amazing things over there. And for almost two decades, the Inland Empire has been giving financially to, uh, to support the, the spiritual work in this area of the world. And this is an area of the world that is not easy to evangelize. You know, I don't know if you remember it, but when Mufid was here, and we're going to get a chance even uh, in, in the upcoming midweeks to show the sermon that we couldn't post online that Mufid preached. But he talked about how, how in, in some cases, depending on how, how bad the part of the world is, it could cost anywhere up to $3,000 just to help somebody to become a Christian. To fly them to a place that's safe enough so that they can study the Bible. To have people be invested. We can't even process that kind of an issue. But on top of that, not just in the Middle East, our church has supported, has supported local work here in the Inland Empire, has supported churches in Salt Lake City, in Sacramento, in Reno. Our, our giving, our special missions offering has gone to uh, help the church plantings in Tucson, Arizona, and then last year in San Luis Obispo. So our giving makes a huge difference. God has been working in, with our dollars in ways that we can't even begin to understand. And what that tells me, and what that should stir in our faith and in our hearts, is that we are a part of something far bigger than here in desert cities. Far bigger than the valley. Think about that, that, that what we give in a couple of weeks is going to support people that you and I will probably never meet in that part of the world. That's awesome that we get to be a part of this together. 
And again, I'm really grateful and very proud to be a part of this church and that this is, this is a part of who we are. You know, um, as we're preparing for this, this offering here in three weeks, I want to be able to share with you guys, uh, some of, uh, we're going to get into the Bible together, amen? That's a good thing. But I'm also going to share a lot about uh, three years ago because my wife and I got to go visit several of our churches in the Middle East back in 2016. And it was a very life-changing experience. I've got a ton of pictures and stuff, so I'm going to get to share some of that with you guys. Um, but it was also it was very eye-opening, incredibly humbling, and very faith-building. It was inspiring, it was challenging, and it was rewarding. And I know some of you in, in this room have even had the opportunity to go over there. And if you ever have the chance, I want to encourage you. It would be probably one of the me- best investments you could make to go and visit our disciples over there. Um, I'm going to share more about the trip later, but, but let me just tell you, that trip has completely changed the way that I think and approach my special missions offering. It has changed my attitude about it. It's changed my thinking. It's changed the, the amount we give. All of that stuff for me. And I want to try to infuse some of that faith in you guys today. Because this isn't just a transaction. We're giving to help our brothers and sisters in a war-torn part of the world Spread the gospel to a place that desperately needs it. And this morning, I want you to think about the word love. Okay? Or this afternoon, rather. I want you to think, what does it mean to you? Now, this is rhetorical. We're not going to have a discussion on it. I just want you to think about what love really means to you. Think about how you live it out personally. Or maybe how you know you're supposed to live it out. Whatever kind of suits where you're at right now. But I want to read you guys a couple, a couple quotes in scriptures because the, the issue of what love is, it's not just a song, what love? No, this is, there's a lot, this has been discussed for a while. How are we supposed to live out love in our lives as people? And there's a lot of people that have quoted things about this. Love is not just a feeling. It's a commitment and above all, it's a sacrifice. That's powerful. That love was never meant to be something to feed the rom-com budget. Think about it, right? Because we love the fluffy stuff about love. But the reality is love is so much deeper than emotions and feelings. It costs us something. I don't know who this guy is, but he had some incredible quotes. I looked up several of them. If my love is without sacrifice, it is selfish. Such a love is barter. For there is exchange of love and devotion in return for something. It is conditional love. Mother Teresa, we love her. If you really love one another, you will not be able to avoid making sacrifices. And really, as wise as these people are, they're just saying something God's been saying for a while. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. In John 15, 13, Jesus is saying, look, if you really love, you'd be willing to sacrifice even yourself. And the biggest one, the most popular scripture in the entire Bible that gets held up at every sporting event around the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, the truth about love is love always requires sacrifice. The parents in the room, you know this. You can't have children. You can't love your children without sacrifice. Whether it's sleep 
Money, food, energy, attitude, all of it. It's a sacrifice. But real love takes sacrifice. Because God's not interested in fluffy stuff. He's not interested in a lie that we watch on TV or in the movies. He's interested in a love that lasts and a love that's real. But that, what that means then for us, and the title of our sermon today, is Sacrificial Love. And I have one point for us. For those that, that are good about taking notes, here's your one point. Action, compassion. It kind of rhymes. Don't overthink it too much. But today what we're going to do is we're going to do a study of 2 Corinthians 8 together. So you can turn your Bible over there. We're, going, we're not going to get to it right away. Because in order to understand this, and we've heard 2 Corinthians 8 shared lots and lots of times in, in, in church. Especially around, uh, around the offering and giving our, con- our weekly contribution. But in actuality, what's going on in chapter 8 is very different than a normal weekly contribution. And I want to set that up here. So Paul is writing this letter in 2 Corinthians. Am I jumping ahead? Nope. Paul's writing this letter in 2 Corinthians as a follow-up to 1 Corinthians and possibly another letter where he's specifically referring to a special contribution that they had started when he wrote 1 Corinthians. That the church, the, the concept of a special missions offering that we're doing, it's very biblical. It shows up several times in the New Testament. And the, and the follow-up that we're going to read in 2 Corinthians 8 is to something that had already begun in 1 Corinthians. And what it was for was it was going to support the disciples in Jerusalem and Judea. And I want to take you back to the significance of that, to Jerusalem and Judea, to where this all got started and why this offering was even so important. So in Acts 2, we know this story very well. If you're, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you've read Acts 2 probably hundreds and thousands of times. We have the first Sunday sermon. Jesus is gone. He's resurrected. He's up in the heavens. Now salvation is possible. And Peter, Peter gets to preach this message of salvation on Pentecost, right? How many became disciples in one day? 3,000 people became a disciple in one day. That's a really good sermon. You know, I, have ne- I wish that there would be a time that I could preach a sermon this good. There's never been an evangelism campaign or a sermon preached better than that. All right? You guys got to lighten up a little bit. It's a little bit stuffy in here, okay? All right? I'm trying to be lighthearted here. I know we talk about money and people start getting a little, little freaked out. But this, is, this, is, this was an incredible moment that happened. But to continue this story, they didn't just stop there with them becoming disciples, 3,000 getting baptized. The part in Acts 2.42 that we love, the, the beginning of the first church, in, in verse 45... What it says is all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Okay, so the significance here of this is if you remember from the beginning of chapter 2, it said that the Jews that were in town for Pentecost were from about 12 to 13 different regions. Most of them were not from Jerusalem. So then they hear this amazing sermon. They become Christians. They get baptized. And guess what? They don't go home. 3,000 people that are mostly from not Jerusalem stayed in Jerusalem. This is an awesome thing to show the dedication in their heart. It says that they were, they were basically learning how to become Christians. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, all those things, the things that we love to preach about church, right? But 
the reality of that is there's also a problem here. If you're Peter and the other apostles, you're a church leader, this is, this is like a good news, bad news situation. Because you just had an incredible thing happen. And it says every day people were being added to their number. But the problem is now you've got to take care of these people. You have 3,000 people on the first day and then more coming constantly who now don't have a place to live. Don't have jobs. They need to eat. So when it says that they sold their possessions and property, that's a really cool idea, right? But it was really because they needed to live. So to stay, they had to give up everything to basically be a commune and support each other. So this kind of goes on for a little while until Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is killed. And it says that the church is then spread out because of the persecution. So a lot of them leave because of the persecution. But there's actually still a really big group in Jerusalem. A very decently sized group. And so, and really, that spreading out was a part of God's plan to reach the world. He used the death of of one of his disciples to send people out to other parts of the world to preach the gospel. It was awesome. But fast forward a couple years to Acts chapter 11. Paul is in Antioch, and there's a prophet named Agabus who shares a pretty alarming prophecy. It says, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. So that includes Jerusalem and Judea. This happened during the reign of Claudius. So because of this, because of this severe famine in Jerusalem, the first special missions offering was born. Look at what happens. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So not only do they have a ton of people living in Jerusalem and Judea, now there's a famine in the land. So now, that, now it's even harder for them to get food. They had some crazy issues. There were food shortages. The Romans would often, because of the famine, they would enforce a double taxation on people living in their areas to try to make up for the famine. And so you're already broke, you don't have a job, you're trying to support your family, and then the Romans say, give twice as much as you did last year. They were struggling. And then on top of that, this is something that we can relate to, the city was overpopulated, and it says, and and, you know, Jerusalem was the holy city for the Jews. So I read this a couple years ago, it was common for Jews that when they got to kind of like a retirement age, they would move to Jerusalem to settle down and be in the holy city. We're very familiar with that in the desert, right? And so people are constantly coming back to Jerusalem to be taken care of. So you've got, uh, you've got elderly people. You've got widows that are constantly coming into Jerusalem to retire in God's holy city. They had problems. So as a result, Paul and all these leaders are like, we've got to go send them some support. We've got to... We've got to help these guys out, otherwise these churches are, are not going to make it. And really, the truth is, this is not unlike the situations that we have going on in the Middle East currently. A lot of our churches in the Middle East, they're going through very similar types of problems. War-torn, civil wars, government oppression. Mufid got to share a lot about that a couple months ago. But they're going through a lot in that part of the world. 
And you know, when we were over there several years ago, one of the themes of being in the Middle East and talking to the brothers and sisters out there, they're really happy to tell you all their problems. That was like a, a good chunk of our conversations and getting to know people was like, let me tell you all the things that stink about living in the Middle East. They can't have Bible talks on campus because their school won't let them. The church in Lebanon has had a hard time finding places to meet consistently. I'm going to show you this picture. So I got to go out there and preach a lesson for youth and family. So this is me and Mufid. He's translating for me. And then all of a sudden, this would happen. The lights would completely cut out, and everybody would just pull out their phones like nothing happened, turn on their flashlights, and then we would just keep going. But that was kind of the state of where they were. They had no air conditioning half the time. You know, they've been trying to actually build a building for like six years now. But they've run into so many government hurdles, they can't get a stinking building finished. So this is the church in, in Beirut. You know, uh, the government, they can't trust the government. Like, we already know that we can't trust the government, right? Okay, if you guys complain about American government, I'm going to smack you. <laughs> because you need to go visit a third world country. Because you don't realize how good we actually have it. All right? Because their government is incredibly corrupt. Okay? This is actually normal. This is my daughter. We were at a mall. And these are armed guards. They're hanging out at the mall. You see that? That's an assault rifle off of his chest. But they were fired up to meet my daughter. So they wanted to come over. We actually didn't get the actual high five. But they came over and wanted a high five with my daughter. She was very popular in the Middle East. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl. Uh... But on top of this, like when we were actually out there three years ago, they hadn't had a president in over 26 months. The one before it got killed. And they couldn't elect it. There was one guy that was running, and he couldn't get elected. It took three rounds of voting to get him elected. And we were there when he got elected. We were also there when Trump got elected, which was interesting. But I want to show you a video. This is what happened the moment that the, that the president got elected in Lebanon. This is the celebration of the new president. Whatever you're thinking it is in your head, it's that. Gunshots, fireworks, bombs, grenades, all this stuff is going off in celebration. When the election happened, they actually made sure that we were all inside. They said we can't be outside because you could get hit by a bullet falling from the sky. So you think, again, we have trust issues with our government. They have severe trust issues with their government. They're in a Muslim world, a very socially divided world. You know, when we were in Dubai, we heard a story while we were there, uh, because most of our church there is Filipino and, and uh, Indian or Pakistani. It's about, I think it's about 90%. And it's, it's the biggest church we have in, in the Middle East. And one of the sisters brought a friend out to church and came to church. And then when she invited her back again after that, she said, I'm not coming to your church again because your church is a servant church. Because all the Filipinos and the Pakistanis and Indians, they're the servants in Dubai. And she didn't want to have anything to do with that. You know, right now our church in Dubai can't meet because the crown prince decided that, that, that no evangelicals were allowed to meet together anymore. So they haven't met together in like three months, at least. And the church in, you know what? As we talked to more people and got to see some of these challenges, you know what I realized? At the core of it, their challenge, the battle is faith. 
The battle is faith just as much as it's ours with them. In the middle of these things, they're fighting to walk with God and love people, though. It was so encouraging. Here's the singles ministry in Lebanon. They wanted me to come to to share with them a lesson on how to do Bible talks. Because they wanted to be able to share their faith. This is the campus ministry in Beirut. The teeny tiny campus ministry. Again, they wanted to know how to have better Bible talks. So I did a whole lesson for them on how to do Bible talks. In Dubai, they're having TBT on Thursday nights. Because in Dubai, there's another thing that's an interesting problem there. They only have one day off. They, only have, they don't have weekends. Friday is the only day off for the entire country. So that's when they have church. So Thursday nights are the best time to do Bible talk for the teens. So that's when they do their TBT. But they're doing it. I got to go and lead a Bible talk in Dubai. It was really cool. The church in Amman, they're, they're moving, man. They're kind of like the desert cities in a lot of ways because they have the unique challenge of reaching out to children because most of the church is made up of like two families. Our whole church in Amman is like two families. That's it. It's kind of like the Hernandezes. <laughs> but you know what? They are fighting to walk with God just like we are. And a lot of their challenges, even though they're unique to the circumstances of the Middle East, they're also very similar to ours when you boil it down. So all this, we're coming back around to 2 Corinthians. Paul is petitioning to the disciples to support the church in Jerusalem with its unique challenges, the same way we're trying to support the churches in the Middle East. Let's read this together. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people and exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We'll stop there. So what's interesting in this passage is that the first thing that Paul does in this chapter to try to get them thinking about special missions is refer to a different church and how they gave. And as he talks about this church in Macedonia, the first thing he points out is, first of all, he says they had an incredible desire to give to God's work in Judea and and Jerusalem, but specifically to do it in the midst of a very severe trial and extreme poverty. The church in Macedonia had issues. I don't know what, what it means when it says a very severe trial, But if you've struggled financially, you probably have some ideas in your head of what that might look like. The Greek words when it says extreme poverty is is deep beggary, is what it said. It's like picture a church that has to beg for food. That was the church in Macedonia. 
But it says, in spite of these circumstances, this church welled up in generosity and begged the apostles to give to God's work. You might feel poor, or you might have been poor at some point in your life. I would probably doubt, especially living in America, you know what it is to experience extreme poverty the way that he's describing it here. But in spite of their condition, look at the things that it says about them. Out of their overflowing joy, they were fired up to give. So that they welled up in rich generosity and gave even beyond their ability to give. I don't know how this scripture hits you right now, but this makes me a little uncomfortable. It, it makes me feel stuff. It's convicting that what he's essentially doing here is he's talking to a church that is rich, that is pretty well off, and he starts off by saying, let me tell you about the really poor church over here. The poor church that probably could have its own special missions offering. That when they heard about the church in Jerusalem and Judea, they were so fired up to give in their poverty, they gave even more than we could have expected. A church with people struggling with their own stuff, who could have been asking again for their own offering, they said, we need to give to our brothers and sisters. Why? What was it that stirred in their hearts so much that they felt like, I mean, it says that they begged the apostles that they, could give to, that they could give to them. What that says to me is that Paul was probably being a good minister and he was looking at the state of the church and he's like, hey guys, if you could just be praying for the church in Jerusalem and Judea, they really need help. Just, but just pray. I know you guys are kind of going through it right now. Just, just pray. They're like, no, no, we got to give something. Please, let us give. Look again in verse 4. It says in verse 4, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. The God's Word version says this. They made an appeal to us, begging us to let them participate in the ministry of God's kindness to His holy people in Jerusalem. You know what it was that made them want to give? Compassion. It was compassion. I mean, the church in Jerusalem must have been pretty bad off if Paul describes the church in Macedonia as going through extreme poverty and severe trials, but they still had something to give. This is convicting to me, guys. That a church, and you know what? I don't think they probably gave very much. When it says that they gave beyond their ability, it probably wasn't very much. It's probably like the widow with the two copper coins situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, compared to the other people, the amount wasn't very much, but what she gave was a lot more sacrificial. They cared about the work that needed to be done for their brothers and sisters. And you know what? Paul didn't even seem to ask them to do it. Imagine, imagine if we never said, hey, we're, gonna have, we're not going to have special missions this year. Or if we never uttered the word special missions this year. But hearing about the churches in the Middle East, your heart was so moved by compassion that you said, I've got to give something.
I think about how I've counseled people with regard to their special contribution. And this is kind of convicting to me about where my faith is at. Because I really believe in sacrifice. The Bible is so full of stories of sacrifice where God blessed it beyond anything you could understand. I believe that when people give of their money and give sacrificially, God rewards them. I've heard stories after stories for years about how God has rewarded them. But at the same time, there's still the part of me as a leader that I'm like, okay, you need to give sacrificially, but don't be unwise. Don't be, you know, make sure, make sure that you're not putting yourself in a dangerous situation. It says that these people were in extreme poverty. Paul could have said, hey guys, look, seriously, don't. You've got to feed yourselves. You know, I heard a sermon a while back where they talked about the woman with the two copper coins. You know what's interesting about that? It says that she gave everything she had to live on and Jesus let her do it. I feel like as a good leader, I would say, keep one coin. Go get some food. That's still, really, that's still 50% of your wealth. That's a lot. But Paul is saying something here that challenges my faith as a leader. He let them give. He took their money to go give it to a church that was hurting. And I want you to consider something in this as well. So this is Macedonia. Right there. It's a Greek city run by Romans. Jerusalem is right there. It's a Jewish city ruled by Rome. And they're over a thousand miles apart from each other. If you didn't know the lighter part, that's a, that's a sea. That's water. Why do I bring that up? Well, this is the first century. And no cell phones, no Skype, no Facebook, or any way to make contact with the disciples in Jerusalem. They probably had never met any of them nor would they ever meet any of them. They had no reason to give money on their own. Logically. Right? All of us here, many of us in here have family members that live outside the country. And there's a logical part that goes, I'm going to support my family. But to give money out of your extreme poverty to people you've never met and probably will never meet. They were hearing the stories about Jerusalem and Judea over months and years of time, possibly. And they had to trust someone to hand-deliver their money overseas and trust it to get there. Nowadays, I want to ask this question. For those of you guys that know, that kind of remember those times where you were really poor, you really were struggling, how many of you would feel great if you were in that moment of extreme poverty giving money like that? That's stupid. Right? That makes no sense. If I'm poor, I'm going to give you my money and trust that you're going to give it to somebody a thousand miles away? Nothing about this makes sense, guys. Nowadays, if we weren't 100% sure where our money's going, we close up the wallet and the purse real fast. Right? How dare you pay for overhead in this nonprofit and not give this money directly to the children? 
This is something that Robert Carrillo has said that he's had a problem with it, hope. People don't want to give to hope because they don't want it to go to paying for staff. But I want you to think about the faith and the compassion that these people had to have. They begged the apostles to be a part of this. They begged for a gamble, for a risk. We're living in one of the richest countries that has ever existed. And sometimes we can struggle just to give a tithe. Can I be honest about that? Can we be honest about that together, guys? You know what that tells me? We need to increase our faith. We're in the 21st century. The people we're giving to, we know. You've met them. They've come to your houses. They've hung out with you guys. They've preached to us. We know these people. We're not even having to operate on that much faith. But ultimately, Paul says that the heart that they had in verse 5 and this is the thing for us to just let sink into our own hearts, okay? Was that they didn't give out of an expectation. They didn't give because they were asked. They didn't give an amount necessarily. What Paul says about this, it says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. There's a part of this that we've got to grasp first. It says, first of all, the reason why the, I think the reason why the Macedonian disciples felt like they could give is because they trusted this is going to God. God will take care of this. God will do with this as he wants to be done. It says that they gave first the Lord and then to us. When our hearts are wrapped in giving to the Lord first, you know what happens? Compassion just oozes out of our hearts. And it compels us to give sacrificially. And you know what? God always wants to reward and bless people who want to honor him first and foremost. And I believe that when it comes to our money. Of all topics in the Bible to have scriptures about, money is by far the most talked about topic in the Bible. And a lot of it are promises where, Jesus, where God is even saying, you know, I mean, there's not very many times the Bible says, test me in this. But in Malachi, God says, test me in this. This is an area I will let you test me. Give me sacrificially your money and see what I can do with it. We don't really have a reason to love the Middle East. If I'm being honest, most of you will probably never go there. But giving to God allows us to love them in a very special way that God can use. And I want to say again, I'm not, I don't want to try to make this heavy. I know I'm sure there's a lot of feelings and stuff going on right now. I want to say thank you again to this church. We have been incredibly sacrificial for years. I've heard stories for, for years about people selling things in order to make special, doing things above and beyond expectation to give to what God is doing. And you know what? We, we, we don't know where that money has gone. But I love hearing the stories of the victories that happen over there and thinking, you know what? Maybe part of our giving went to that. We won't know until heaven. I like to think that God's keeping record and one day when we get up there, he's going, guess what? Let me show you where your dollars went. 
Let me show you who it helped to save. And as we were talking about this, I know even some of you were thinking, you know, I don't have anything to give. I'm a poor college student. I'm in high school. I don't have a job. Maybe you have health issues that cost a lot of money. Maybe you're drowning in school debt. Or maybe you're drowning in debt because you made some bad choices. That's real. That's life. But one of the things I love about this time of the year, like I said, is hearing about the stories of people that give and how God responds to it. Stories of people getting money back from their universities, from insurance, from family members they didn't know about. For the exact amount sometimes of what they've given. And you know what? I'm looking forward to more amazing stories. That builds my faith because it shows me that what God says in the Bible, it's going to happen. You know, what's interesting about this passage is after all we've talked about, Paul was sharing to the church in Corinth about the hearts and spirits of another church. One of the few times he does this. He doesn't do it very much in in his letters. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to stir in the hearts of the disciples not by giving them orders and telling them just give, give more, give your money, but by using the hearts and faith of other people in much more challenging circumstances to try to help move in their hearts what God can do. And I don't know if you caught it, but in verse 8, he does something that he doesn't do very often. And put it up there. He says, I want to test the sincerity of your love. How? By comparing it with the earnestness of others. So, he's bringing up this poor church to a more wealthy church, saying, look, this is what they were willing to give out of their poverty. Not about the amount, but because they had a heart to have compassion and to give. He's saying, if you guys are better off, then you've got to check the earnestness of your heart. Imagine, imagine if, God, if, if Paul showed up to our church one Sunday and said, Hey guys, grateful for you. Thanks for all your giving. But I want to talk to you about one of our churches in the villages in the Philippines where people are really poor. And I want to show you how much they're giving and I want you to consider for yourself if your earnestness matches theirs. That's what he's doing. (laughs) Thank you, Peggy. Yes, I did. (laughs) I know this is kind of an uncomfortable thing, but he says, look, I want to test you and compare you. How would we stack up? How would you stack up? Would we have action compassion that's fueled by sacrificial love? Would we have that heart of the Macedonian churches that says, God, I cannot wait to give. You know, in three weeks when we have our special mission service, I know I'm thinking through the music and the things that we're going to sing. I want that to be a celebration. Not a painful thing. I want that to be something you feel great about inviting your friends to. Because you say, look, look at what we're doing. We sacrifice because we believe in God's mission and what he wants to do around the world. That's not something to mourn over. Who cares about the dollar amount? That's something to celebrate. Where's your faith at today? 
We're giving first to God and then to the work that He's doing in our brothers and sisters. I want to close by showing you some pictures. Because for me, this helps me to go, I'm giving my money absolutely to God and I'm trusting that where that goes, God will do with it as He wills. You know who I'm also giving to? I'm giving to support Allah and Daniela. If you don't know, Allah is the brother of Hala in our Rancho Church. He's Syrian. He can't leave Lebanon because of his because of his citizenship issues. But they're training and being raised up right now to lead a church in the Middle East. They want to go in the ministry. I'm giving to support them and the work that God wants to do in their lives. I'm giving to Manuel and Lilith. This is a couple that we got really connected to when we went out there three years ago. We were talking with them. They were a young married couple. And you know what they were telling us was, was we don't ever want to have kids. We see Middle Eastern children. We see Middle Eastern parents. And we don't want to have any part of this. We got to hang out with them. They got to hang out with our daughter. And we left there like, man, we can't wait to be a part of this. You know what? Last year, they celebrated the birth of their baby boy. You know what? They have a vision. He's Turkish. He has a vision to go and help lead a church in Turkey. I'm giving to... <laughs> I'm giving to Sammy and Fadia. Habibi Sammy and Habibti Fadia. A couple that has been leading faithfully in the Middle East for years and years. A man that was so faithful in his relationship with God, he went out to lead a church in Iraq and was imprisoned and beaten for months. I'm giving to support what God is doing in them in the church in Jordan. I'm giving to, to Jesse and Mufid, who have served in several different churches and helped to oversee the Middle East. But also on a personal level, we feel very bonded to them in our family. You know, one of the nights that we were there, they gave my daughter this bear. This is Cece Bear. Cece Bear helps my daughter out. Because every year she's given an offering. She's given a special missions offering from her piggy bank, from her bottles that she recycles this year. And you know who she gives it to? Jesse Mufid. I'm going to share this last story. Close out. When I was 10 years old, 9 or 10 years old, I was given my first, uh, my parents helped me get my first mentor. It was a guy from Orange County. He was a surfer. Total bro. You know, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I remember swimming in his pool at his house that was way too chlorinated and burned your eyes. I remember playing Tekken on the original PlayStation on bootleg. I remember watching movies that I should not have been watching as a nine-year-old. And I also remember when he got brought up on stage because he left to go be a part of a mission team to Cyprus. And while he was there... Stuff happened. They moved out of Cyprus, but he stayed in the Middle East. Met a beautiful Lebanese woman. They got married, and now he's a superintendent of a school in Dubai. That's Daniel Bokeman right there. I hadn't seen Daniel in almost 20 years. I got to see him for the first time again three years ago. I didn't think I was ever going to see him again. I give to support what God is doing through Daniel. God is working in ways far beyond anything we could understand, guys. I think part of what we've got to get in our hearts as well is why we give is because God's... Why we sacrifice our money is because God sacrificed what's most important for us. 
Going back to the most popular scripture in the whole Bible. We're going to get ready to take communion here together in just a moment. Scripture that I'm sure almost all of us have memorized most of the way. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He sacrificed his one and only son so that we would have the chance of salvation. Ultimately, when it all boils down to it, if you don't need any other reason than that, give because God gave to you. He sacrificed what was most important so that we could have the life that we have now. So as we take our communion together, I want to encourage you just to pray, to to meditate on that, to think about that, and to pray about that. Amen? God, I want to thank you so much for the love that you've given to each and every one of us. Beyond anything that we could possibly imagine or deserve. And Father, I pray that the sacrifice that you gave in Jesus, that that stirs in our hearts, that the, the, the hearts and the faith of the Macedonian churches stirs in our hearts, the hearts of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East stirs in our hearts. God, as we think about what we're going to do, not just in three weeks, but in general, as we give our lives and our hearts and our money to you. And I thank you that I get to be a part of a church that believes in something greater than just what's right in front of us. I'm so grateful that we're part of something beyond the Coachella Valley that stretches into an eternity that we, we could not even begin to fathom or understand. We love you so much. We thank you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.